Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, where we are on a metabolic mission to help you achieve vitality and be free of chronic lifestyle conditions. How do we do that? My three things, real whole food, straight talk, and the pleasures of the table. Thank you to all of you who have supported me by listening to this podcast, buying the book, The Nourishment Mindset, sending me your questions, show ideas, all of that. Love you. If you haven't taken yet a little minute to review this show on your podcast platform of choice and or the book, The Nourishment Mindset, please do that. And if you connect with me either on social or through my website, favorfat, F-A-V-O-R-F-A-T dot com, you'll find all my contact links there. I will happily offer you a 20-minute complimentary health coaching session to talk about whatever you would like. So let's dive into today's show. We have a wonderful and inspiring guest, but I have a little ranting and raving I need to get out of the way before we bring Terry on. So before I reveal who this person is, I want to talk about the USDA. Y'all, this stands for the United States Dumbass Association or United States Department of the Agriculture. They have been wasting more of our taxpayer dollars, and this time it's a dumbass study funded where they're studying using 90% ultra-processed factory foods and then labeling this a healthy diet for human consumption. Do you know why they did that? Well, because it conforms to the guidelines that they vomit every five years. So (laughs) we need to remember Ultra-processed foods are all the same thing. If you're a subscriber at favorfat.substack.com, you got an email for the show that shows an image where I break down what ultra-processed foods are. Here's what they are. They're four things, okay? We have starches sprayed with glyphosate. We have inflammatory factory fats, like especially soybean oil, gross. I pick on those in every show, but you also have corn oil, canola oil, safflower, sunflower, rapeseed, gross. Excuse me, rapeseed is canola oil, (laughs) rather grapeseed and rice bran. These are not fit for human consumptions. So we've got the starches with glyphosate. We've got the inflammatory fats. These are little metabolic wrecking balls. We have sugar with its myriad of names to hide it. And then we have a bucket of chemicals, which feature things like preservatives, food dyes, emulsifiers, dough conditioners. Sick, y'all. Not good. And this is what your taxpayer dollars are funding. And to tell you that this shit is healthy. So we don't need a study by the way, we really don't. We have an alarming real epidemic. Over 90% of Americans are metabolically unfit. 40% of us are obese, over 70% are overweight, 50% have diabetes. This has all exploded since the United States Department of Agriculture, aka Dumbass Association, gave us these dietary guidelines So if you want to find out more and you want to take my rant and you want to do something with all this energy, I invite you to check out the Nutrition Coalition. Just Google them. They're doing great work. They need our support. In better news, our Italian brothers and sisters have done something truly awesome across the Atlantic. Their Senate passed a bill banning lab meat. Mamma mia. Ciao bella, salute. This bill covers production, marketing, and it protects farmers and consumers who have the audacity to want real food. And this is important because if you know anything about Italy or you've been 
fortunate enough to go there, you know that the country has an amazing cultural heritage of food. I talk about this in my book. My mom took my brothers and I to Italy when I was 16 in the throes of what was anorexia turning into bulimia, not a pretty picture. Italy was the first place that I ever tasted really savored food. It was so delicious. And I didn't bring a packet of laxatives with me. So I had to just like eat the food and actually fully digest it. After a two week delicious trip there, I came back about 10 pounds heavier. I was mortified. I was pushing 112 or something. Um, and I had grown tatas, but that's another story. If you want to hear about that, you got to buy the nourishment mindset or try to poke back into a chapter if you've already read it. Anywho, I celebrate this. 74% of Italians are for this. And next it will go to the Chamber of Deputies. So let's hope that that passes in like a salute or salute to real whole foods. They found 53 hazards to health in the study that they did, plus something that's never talked about, but is true dat, and that is the environmental cost. The CO2, if you're into that sort of thing, producing this mutt, which I call it, it ain't meat, it's mutt, mutt is better, um, is five to 25 times greater than real meat. So riddle me that. Right. All right. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I would like to welcome a hell of a dude. His name is Terry Tucker. He has been an NCAA Division I basketballer, a SWAT hostage negotiator. He is also the founder of Motivational Check and the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Wow. Welcome, Terry. Dixie, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Excellent. Me too. D1 basketball. We'll get into that. But let's get really real. I like to just kind of hit people over the head with these podcasts. We don't do any softballs or layups or whatever you might call it in basketball. So you battled cancer for over a decade and you've got battle wounds. How did you persevere? Yeah, I've got a lot of scars on my body. Uh, how did I persevere? I, I I call call my my three Fs: faith, family, and friends. I I have a very strong faith in God. Uh, you know, when I when I got cancer, we're great here in the United States. But when something fails or or, or something breaks, we don't just take responsibility for it. We got to blame somebody. So mm -hmm. when I got cancer, people were like, "Well, who do you blame? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Who do I blame? Well, you must blame somebody because you got cancer." I said, "No, I don't really blame anybody. I I just have it." And then when they find out I have a faith life, it's like, well, you must, you must blame God. Mm. And I sort of used to joke with people. It's like, no, I don't think I got up on a Tuesday morning and checked his to-do list and said, hey, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I, I, I don't believe that at all. But I certainly believe he's given me the opportunity and, and the strength to go forward during, it's been over 11 years now. And then family. It's, it's my wife and daughter, uh, my brothers. I still have my brothers. My mother's still alive. But it's pretty much my wife and daughter and I had my leg amputated in 2020, uh, right during the, the middle of the COVID pandemic. And I remember afterwards, I, I also have tumors in my lungs. My oncologist wanted to put me on chemotherapy. And I remember I was eight years into this fight. And I said to him, is it going to save my life? And he's like, mm, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I'm like, well, if the outcome is going to be the same, I'm not sure I want to do this, but I'll go home and talk to my family. And, and it's a funny story, but it really did happen this way. So I go home and start telling my wife and daughter. And my daughter's immediately, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that. You know, so we individually sit around the kitchen table and discuss how we individually feel about me having chemotherapy. And then when we're done, my daughter's like, all right, let's think about how many people want dad to have chemotherapy. And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? But I remembered when I was back in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most in class. 
And as we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. And so I ended up taking care of chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because I love my family more than I love myself. So that's the family part. And then finally, friends. The one thing I'll say about friends is there were people when I got sick that I was 100% sure would stick by me and be with me through this whole thing that were like, mm, no, I can't do this. Wow. And then there were people who I never thought would be there for me that have been with me through the entire 11 years. So faith, family, and friends, that's a long-winded answer, but that's how I've gotten through it so far. I love it. That's beautiful. And they, I've heard that not from someone before about a medical diagnosis, but about divorce. People say like, if you go through a divorce, you kind of figure out who your real friends are real quick. Um, and it's sad to hear that that was a factor for you, but I guess some people just can't handle the truth to have a horrible movie quote. <laughs> no, they can't. I mean, it's, you know, I was in my early fifties when I was diagnosed and there were people that I think projected what I was going through onto mm -hmm. their life and thinking, oh my gosh, if that I, I couldn't deal with that. I couldn't handle that. And so I don't want to be around it so that I'm constantly reminded about it. So I, I get it. I understand that. But like I said, there were people who have shown up that I never expected would show up. Oh, that's beautiful. And I love the faith, family, friends. It reminds me of, um, I'm going to butcher this, but one of my brothers does a workout called like F3 or something. And it's, I think it's like faith, family, and fitness or, or something. It's, it's one sure. off of what you <laughs> said. Um, but that's great. That's what gets him out of bed very early in the morning. So I love that that's what keeps you um, motivated to, to, to stay here as long as uh, the good Lord wants you to be here. So um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your, your company motivational check. Why did you found this? What is motivational check? Motivational check is just a, it's a company that I found that I, I do uh, speaking, to be honest with you. I, I founded it literally right as COVID hit. Ooh, timing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but like so many other businesses, when COVID hit, you had to figure out a new way to deliver your service or to deliver your product or find it even a different audience. And I remember somebody had reached out to me and said, well, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And I said, sure. What's a podcast? I literally I had no idea what a podcast was. And they're like, well, we kind of have a conversation and we record it and we put it on social media. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And I remember the very first podcast I ever was on, I had post-it notes all around the camera. You know, right. and the person asked me a question and I would kind of lean in and read the post-it note. It, I, I was horrible, I was terrible, but like anything else, you know, you first start doing it, you're, you're not good at it, but then you get better at it. And I listen to every podcast I've ever been on and I'm probably approaching 700 maybe by this point in time. Because I want to, how many times did I say, um, or, um, or do I have a better story or a tighter story and all that? So motivational check was really the company I started to, to speak. And then it kind of got diverted into doing podcasts. And now that things are opening back up, I'm able to get out there and speak a little bit more. Yep. I can, I can imagine you in person just being incredibly inspiring. So good. So let's talk about your four truths. What are they? How did you develop them? What what four truths do nourishment mindset podcast listeners and viewers need to know? Yeah, what? How did I develop them? I was on a podcast that I needed to come up with three truths. So, it, I mean, literally, that's how it was. And I, I I developed three, and then I was kind of thinking about it and reading more and trying to educate myself. When I'm like, no, I think I think there's four, and I'll give them to you. I have them on a post-it note here in my office. They're Perfect. just one sentence each. Here's the first one. Control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one, embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. The third one is, is kind of a legacy type of truth. And it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I kind of refer to these four truths to sort of 
sort of the bedrock of my soul, I think they're just a good place to try to start to build a quality life off of. Oh, I love it. I'm just imagining you as just such a great dad <laughs> and coach, because I know you've coached too. <laughs> um, so we're both authors. Uh, my book took me about seven years. I've shared before with my audience that the first draft just flew out of me. And I remember thinking, why do people complain about writing books? Like, I'll be done with this sucker published in a year. Just need to pitch some people. And then fast forward, you know, six years after that. So I'm curious, um, how long did your Sustainable Excellence book take you to write? And what's it about, more importantly? Yeah, I, I, you know, so let me sort of tell you how it was born. And, okay. and then I'll tell you the writing part of it. So it was really born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a former player that I had coached in high school who had moved to the area of, in Colorado where my wife and I live with her fiance. And the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was excited that she was living close to me and I could watch her find and live her purpose. She got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man in college who reached out to me on social media. And he said, what do you think are the most important things I should learn? Not to just be successful in my job or in business, but to be successful in life. And Dixie, I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, right. help others. I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to give them the sort they're of They're all true, but how about some You're absolutely else? right. You're, they're, they're absolutely true. You're, you're, you're true. you're right about that. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with him. So I spent some time and I was taking some notes and eventually kind of had these, these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent him the principles. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle. Or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. So literally during the three to four month period where I was healing after I had my leg amputated, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people. Some of them are about me, but a lot of them are about other people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence, the 10 principles to living your uncommon and extraordinary life came to be. Ugh. I love it. Do you have a favorite principle or is that like asking your favorite child? You and I both, it sounds like have only children, so not exactly relevant, but. <laughs> yes, we have favorite children, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Default. I, I do. And, and that's that's the great thing. I mean, each chapter is a principle and they're not in any order. Number one isn't any more important than number seven or anything like that. But whenever somebody reaches out to me, there's always one principle that sort of resonates with the reader and, and there's one that resonates with me. And I wrote all 10 of them. And this is the one that resonates with me. And I'm sort of ashamed to tell it to you because I've done this probably more times than I care to remember in my life. And, and it's this. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know, oh, I, I'd like to do this. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I don't have enough information or maybe I'm not smart enough. Or what will people say if I fail? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. And I always, whenever I, I speak, especially to young people, I always tell them there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you. Go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. Oh, that is so true. And you know, that, that kind of gives me what we call chill bumps or goosebumps, chill bumps, I think in the South. But um, the reason is, <laughs> well, it's a lot, but my husband has a kind of a fun way of saying this. He's like, you have an unbelievable knack for thinking of the worst possible case scenario in any situation. <laughs> so that is, is a great thing to hear. I have, you know, really tried, especially my adulthood to, to, combat that but it was just sort of a brain wiring that I grew up to with rather in, in my environment but it's so true and I had a podcast not too long ago called Rick Olderman who's a physical therapist and in his book called Solving Your Pain Puzzle he tells a story of a coin that I believe his dad gave him and on one side of the coin it says fear 
And on the other side, it says freedom. So I think, you know, the freedom to fail even is fine. You know, if, if you don't try, you'll never know. So that is, that's amazing advice. And again, thank you. You picked probably the best one for me to hear. So no, you, you, hit on, you hit on a great one too. There's another chapter in the book about the importance of failing and failing often, especially when you're young. Because I think a lot of, especially younger people today, kind of look at successful people, whether they're entertainers or sports figures or doctors or whoever they are, and think somehow those people just became successful or influential, you know, by somebody snapping their fingers. And what they don't understand is that the road to success is paved with failure. If you do not fail, there's no way you're ever going to be successful. Yep. And what you said, you know, the the, the failure, the challenge teaches you otherwise you you can't grow so exactly that's that's ditto for when i teach my yoga class you know if you fall over or fall out of a pose or something that's okay that's your body giving you feedback it's not that you know you did anything wrong that's just where you are in your practice to say something <laughs> only an obnoxious yogi could say so <laughs> anywho you are a very well-traveled featured speaker I'm curious who inspires you. Honestly, it's, it's my family. I, 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 I would literally be dead many times over if it hadn't been for them. And, and it's whoever, you, a lot of times, you know, there are people that say, hey, you know, I'm a member of this group. I, wanna, I want you to come and speak and things like that. And for me, it's I want to give the best speech possible so that I can make them look good. I don't ever want to let anybody down who recommends me to speak. And so I, I, I put a lot of time into my speeches. I try, I, I don't have a canned speech. I mean, I have some things that I like to talk about, but I don't put it, yeah, put it, you know, there's not a canned speech where I just give this to everybody. I want to make it germane to the, to the group that I'm, that I'm talking with. And so, you know, I want to do that for whoever recommends me, but I also, because I'm in a wheelchair, because I'm, I'm an amputee and things like that, because I still am being treated for cancer, my wife usually comes with me on, on every event. So I want to make sure, you know, she's my, my greatest advocate and also my best critic. You know, it's like, oh, you should have said this or you should have done this. So I, I, I want to give her the least amount to criticize me on. So it's always, you know, she always hears these many times because I practice them over and over and over. So my family is absolutely who inspires me. Mm, that's wonderful. I'm curious, how did you meet your wife? Um, we were, I was working for a hospital in Columbus, Ohio. She was working for a bank and the Chamber of Commerce, this was in Columbus, Ohio, um, had a leadership program. It was a year long program. Your organization nominated you. It, it was, it was an amazing program. And we were, both our organizations sent us to this program. There were about 50 people in it. And we were part of a project team. And it just so happened that our project team, we kind of all liked each other. So we would do things, you know, on the weekends together. We would go together to have lunch. We were both dating different people pretty seriously at the time. But somehow, <laughs> yeah, we, we were together all the time. And it just ended up working out that we got wow. married. And it's it'll be 30 years in October. Oh, wow. That's a big one. Three decades. Yes. Early Absolutely. congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's Thank wonderful. You and that's a much better story than in a bar. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine too. No, it wasn't a bar. <laughs> but a little. How'd you meet your husband? Uh, I met. Well, it's not quite in a bar, but it's not far from it. <laughs> I used to live in San Francisco in my twenties. Great place to be in your twenties. And Halloween's a big deal there for the, especially the unattached or the young. You know, without things like families and kids to deal with. And um, I was at a my best friend's apartment there in the city uh, with another friend of hers. And all of a sudden we had a knock on the door. We kind of left our door open because we thought we had seen some like cute guys down the hall. So just sort of leaving the door open, knock on the door asking. And this is funny. I actually have a bobby pin. Can't really see it in the video, but any, because of my background, but do you ladies have any bobby pins? And we thought, no, like who wears bobby pins? You know, <laughs> I do now, um, yes. but no, no, we we sure don't. Like, <laughs> and then while well, they were, um, well, you'll you will appreciate this as a basketballer, because we, you know, I think we asked, like, why would you? What do you need a bobby pin for? It's like, well, we're the globe trotters. 
So it was five guys and they were trying to pin their, their wigs on. So they had like the short shorts and the way pulled up white socks. And, and frankly, it wasn't what us 20 something ladies would have called like a hot guy costume, but it sure was funny. And so we, that's how we met. And then you know, he was there because his friend lived there and my friend lived down the hall. And so we all became friends. It was very fun. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And how long have you been married? We just celebrated 15 years of there marriage. You go. Yeah. We dated a long time. <laughs> About five years. My husband uh, is a military guy. Um, that same friend that basically introduced us calls him preparedness Patrick. And I remember walking on the beach with her after we'd been dating two years and saying, do you think he's going to pop the question? I mean, it's been two years. And she just stops and looked at me and goes, no, you're dating preparedness Patrick. He's going to need a whole nother year at least. And I thought, come on. Um, but it was true. She nailed it to the year. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love people for a service. I have only gotten in trouble with that question once. And this was in my prior career in the wine industry. I asked a, a top wine journalist and his wife how y'all met. And they said, well, our spouses were having an affair with each other. And I went, hmm, okay, that question usually works. This is a little difficult. <laughs> but that's why you can edit a podcast, right? That's like, right. They it? they laughed it off. It was fine. Um, but that's that's one you don't tend to think you're gonna ever hear. So anyway, cheers to them. They absolutely they the best of it. So okay. I am curious if you have ever, I'm sure you've had a million memorable reactions, especially the way you prepare and you're such a natural relater to people. But what's can you think of one that just comes to mind, like a a memorable reaction from someone that's heard you speak? I I, I can give you a couple. Uh, I, I was speaking to a group of bankers uh, here in Colorado at, at a resort. And after I finished, this couple came up to me and they, I mean, literally had tears in their eyes and they're like, oh my God, we, we have been texting our 18 year old son who's kind of in a dark place right now and he's back at home all the things that you've been saying and you know we're, we're we're going back and forth with him and he's asking questions and we're texting it's like thank you for providing all this information to us and i was like wow okay that that was you know i mean you hope people are paying attention to you but you know you, you realize that some people are on their you know making their grocery list on their cell phone while you're talking i mean that's just the way things yeah, are yeah but that was that was certainly amazing and about six weeks ago, I got an email from somebody I didn't know. And, and they just were like, we heard you on this podcast. It was amazing. It spoke to my heart. And they're going on and on and on. I got it. You know, and, and they had the name of the podcast in there. I had to go back. It was a podcast I had done two and a half years ago. Wow. That somebody had found this particular episode and listened to it. And it it had spoken to them, and they had bothered to reach out, reach out, and and tell me about it. So I, you know, you just never know. Something that you laid the groundwork for today may get picked up five years from now, ten years from now, whatever. And somebody listens to it, and it makes a difference in their life. So I, I always kind of keep that in mind when I, you know, there, there's no, oh, this is just a typical podcast. There's no typical podcast. It's you want to be good because you never know whose life you're going to impact down the road. I love that. And it is a reminder, you know, you're you're building a library of the episodes you've been on and I'm building a library of great guests like yourself. So that's wonderful. So I do want to get to basketball, but I have to ask the SWAT team. My sure. goodness. You've said that your instructor had, you know, I'm imagining you've got a picture of your wife and daughter, but oh my, I mean, is there anything you can tell us about that experience or is it all classified? No, it, it's, it's not classified. Um, you know, we were, I, I was a, I was a police officer in Cincinnati, Ohio. And for those of your audience who don't understand how SWAT is, is sort of configured, there's usually two parts of it. There there's the tactical teams and then there are the, the, the negotiators and the tactical Officers are usually the men and women with all the toys, with the different guns and the, the, the different vehicles and stuff. And then the negotiators, we always kind of used to joke with the tactical team that if we did our job correctly, that you didn't get to use 
all your exactly. toys. We're preventative medicine. Exactly. <laughs> SWAT is a life-saving organization. You know, it's uh, what we always used to say. So one of the things that I, I, I think it's important to share with your audience, when, when I first started as a negotiator, they gave us this formula. And the formula was 7, 38, and 55. And you're probably thinking, what the heck does that mean? So it's how we communicate with each other. 7% of how we communicate are the words that we use. 38% of it is the tone of voice that we mm. use with those words. And then 55% of it is our body language and our facial expressions. So as police officers, 99.9% .9 of what we did was always face-to-face -face with another person, whether you know we're stopping you to give you a ticket for running a stop sign or we're you know, answering a radio run for a fight. It's always face-to-face. -face. So you can take visual clues. You know, mm -hmm. if I was talking to you and you were kind of like, you know, looking around, I might think, oh, she's looking for a way to run or get out of this. Or if you were balling up your fists, maybe you want to fight me. And I could see that. I'm like, I can do what's appropriate. I can sit you down. I can handcuff you. I can put you in my car, whatever is appropriate. But as negotiators, we didn't have that 55%. Ooh, gosh, because we, right. weren't, we weren't with the person. We could be blocks away talking on the phone. We could be behind a locked door. So there were many times where you don't know why you're there. You don't know why this person's done what they've done. So you just got to pick a rabbit hole and go down it. But what you don't get the reaction, you know, you I can say something, but I don't see you kind of roll your eyes. Oh, what an idiot. I can't believe he said that. And so we had to figure things out, certainly based on what people were saying, but also based on what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. So one of the big things we, we, we talked about was, was tactical empathy, help me to understand, all right, Dixie, you know, help me understand why this is happening or what's going on. I may not agree with you. And most of the time I did, you know, if you were a homicide suspect, I'm like, well, I don't agree that you shot three people and killed them, but help me to understand that. Because what we're trying to do, just like any relationship, you and your husband, you and your child, you know, you and your coworkers, you're trying to develop trust. You're trying to develop trust with a human being you've never met before that is in a very critical situation, probably the, having the worst day of their life. So that was very really? important. Yeah. And, and the other thing was the importance of listening. And that's another chapter in the book. And people, are, well, of course, we all listen. We don't. We listen to respond. Hurry up, Dixie, say what you're going to say. I want to get my two cents in versus, okay, Dixie, I understand. Or I hear what you're saying. I may agree with you. I may not agree with you. But help me to understand where you're coming from. So listening to respond versus listening to understand. And I think especially here in the United States right now, we're just we're just listening to respond. We're not really connecting with each other on right. a level would, you know, promote understanding between two human beings. Exactly. And particularly the last few years, but it's so true. And I think it's just part of it. It's probably just human nature to want to like ping that ball back over to the other side of the court. But part of it's probably just lack of education in, in sort of the art of a conversation. And of course I have to do this because I'm the nourishment mindset lady, but, you know, we we don't have a table side tradition in our culture. You know, I talk about the French a lot, like the five hour Sunday lunch is a real thing. Um, and there's a lot of conversation that happens there and there's a lot of good food. And it's fine in <laughs> in France. If you go to a dinner party, you know, we have the things we're not supposed to talk about religion, sex, politics. If you don't talk about those, you're considered a boring guest. So it's interesting. Right. And it. it for us, I think the lack of the sitting down at a table nightly, it's this simple, like, you know, old school thing that erodes our ability to converse, as does, you know, soundbite culture and um, all of the arguing on Twitter. And that's why I'm not there. I can't stay on Twitter, but good for anyone who loves it. But you, you make a very good point. And it's, I have never thought about what it must be like to try. I mean, the high stakes conversation, this is not arguing at Thanksgiving dinner table. This is, you know, a life and death thing. And I, I'm fascinated. I'm not surprised per se, but 7%, the words you use, that's so, 
small, it's minute. And I will say this, I have to get a little fun dig in at my beloved husband. Sometimes I'll say, well, your tone of voice, are you upset with me? Like, no. It's like, well, your tone of voice is upset with me. And then I get the eye roll and everything. Women, I think in particular, are really into tone of voice. <laughs> so, But I mean, think about it. If, <laughs> if you and I are talking and I'm sitting there with my arms crossed, you know, right. that's most body language. That's like, you, you know, whether I say it or not, I, I'm not really interested in what you have to say. Or if you're talking and I'm, you know, on oh, my device. Yeah, I'm not paying attention to you. So there there are, if you think about it, it does make sense because we've all had those experiences where, you know, somebody's looking out the window and we're over here talking to them. It's like, you're not paying attention to me. Exactly. You know, we're not we're not connecting. You're not listening, especially listening to understand. You may hear what I'm saying, but you're not internalizing it and trying to figure out how we can connect on this. So yeah, it, it if you think about it, it makes sense, but most of us don't even think about it. Right. Oh, that's so good. And that's, that's going to be a ding on myself because I have a bad habit of starting a conversation and be zooming around the house doing other things. So that's not good body language. So note to self. <laughs> Terry taught me a little lesson there. So thank you. Sure. Um, okay. So I said, we'd have to <laughs> take a turn for the serious. I have never spoken about Duke before on this podcast, but I'm a semi-obnoxious Duke grad. I have at times been a real basketball fan. My freshman year, I was um, part of a group. They probably don't have this anymore, but of women who gave tours to prospects. So I spent some time in Cameron Indoor, got some good seats. I did it for the seats. Um, and just being in there. But I'm curious, did you ever play with Mike Jaminski? I was stalking your time where you were playing basketball. Did I line that up right? Or I I did not. We never played Duke. I, I will. I, I'm I'm going to make a sacrilege here now. We did play North Carolina and oh, North that's all right. Carolina State. Um, I actually there was a there was a tournament in at that we played in every year. It's called the North South double header. They took okay. two teams from North Carolina, which were North Carolina, North Carolina state, okay. and two teams from South Carolina, which was my small school, the Citadel and Furman. And oh, we yeah. were playing Charlotte Coliseum. And so oh, cool. one night we would play North Carolina and the next night we played North Carolina state. So this was Michael Jordan's freshman year. And so it's also the year North Carolina won the national championship. So Whoa. I got to play against North Carolina that year. Then the following year or following night, I got to play against Jim Valvano and North Carolina State, who in 1983, the following year, they won the national championship. So unbeknownst to me, in the course of one weekend, I had the opportunity to play against two national championship teams. And I'll give you a kind of a quick, funny story. Please. My brother, pardon me? Please, yeah. Oh. So my youngest brother is a basketball coach in Chicago. Michael Jordan gets out of North Carolina, go, gets yeah. drafted by the Chicago Bulls in the NBA. My brother is coaching Michael Jordan's two sons. Oh and he God. says, I'm, I'm at practice one day. It's toward the end of practice. I'm teaching the players a drill. And I look up and nobody's paying attention to me. So I look <laughs> where the players are looking. And it was the door. And so I look over the door. Michael Jordan had come into the gym as a dad. To yep. pick his kids up and take them home after practice. My brother looked at him and said, hey, Michael, you're a little bit of a distraction. Would you mind stepping out until practice is over? And Jordan and his wife were incredibly gracious people. And he said, yeah, coach, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll wait outside in the hall until practice is over. My brother thought later, I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball that ever kicked Michael Jordan out of practice. So just. Oh, I love that. Well, I bet he appreciated that, right? He was, Jordan was a great guy. I mean, he understood that, you know, I mean, everywhere he went, he was, he, he's a celebrity, you know. Totally. And you, did, no, not, you did not uh, commit any kind of sacrilege because um, while I'm a Duke um, undergrad, my, both my mother and my brother, who's a dentist, went to Chapel Hill for their graduate degree. So it's okay. I broke precedent. I, I did I went elsewhere for my MBA, but um, it's all good. It's a friendly rivalry, despite what people will say. I grew up in Charlotte, so I was surrounded by Chapel Hill people. But what a heck of a story. What an experience. I mean, was that 
somewhat overwhelming, like as such a young man. I mean, I think of college kids now as kids, right? <laughs> like, was it just all wonderful and, and starlight, star bright, or was it hard, intimidating? I just would love to know what that felt like. In a lot of ways. I, I mean, you know, the Citadel was a a military school. Yep. So, you know, in addition to having to go to class and, and deal with the educational part of it and the basketball part of it, I also had the military aspect of it. So um, that made it incredibly hard, credit, incredibly challenging. I, I graduated from the Citadel, but I, I always tell people I more like survived my college experience, right. little experience. But I will give you, I will give you a Coach K story. All right. So Coach K actually recruited me, sat in my living room when we lived in Chicago. Dude. <laughs> Uh, when he was the basketball coach at Army at West Point before he went. Yes. To so recruit recruits me. I say no, I end up going to the Citadel. Fast forward, uh, I don't know how many, 20 years later. Uh, North Carolina or Duke is playing Connecticut for the national championship. I am a police officer. I'm working nights. So I'm like, I can't watch the game. So I record it. And our daughter is like two or three years old. This is like 1999 or something like that. So the next night I'm off, I, I go down and watch the game with, with our daughter. And at the end of the game, Duke loses. And at the end of the game, there's a hug between William Avery, one of Shizhevsky's uh, players, and Shizhevsky. Didn't think much of it. You know, finished the, the one shining moment montage. And that's it. Next day at dinner, our daughter's like, Dad, can we go watch the hug? Can we go watch the hug? For the next three weeks, our daughter, every night after dinner, Dad, can we go watch the hug? And initially, the hug, what are you talking about? She had the impact of that hug between William Avery and Shizhevsky is what she remembered. So I sat down, I wrote Shizhevsky a letter. I was like, you don't remember me. You recruited me, you know, 20 years ago. Oh blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you a story about my daughter. Send it off to him. Two weeks later, I get a handwritten letter from him, basically saying, thanks for sharing that. I get really close with my players. This was a tough loss, but I really appreciate your, your thoughts and your comments. He didn't have to do that. You know, I mean, that was the kind of guy he is. That, you know, he's just a classy individual. And I was very fortunate to to just have the opportunity to at least talk to him. And you didn't know he was Coach K then, you know. Right. He was yeah. starting out career. But yeah, he sat on sat in my living room, talked to me and my parents. Oh, wow. That's wild. That is wild. And so I have to ask, like, were you just heart set on the Citadel? They had a better basketball program. You just want to meet a Carolina girl. What was the... <laughs> no, actually, I, I had a girlfriend that I dated almost all through high school and most of college. Um, no, I, I I had had three knee surgeries in high school. I just oh. honestly wasn't sure that my knee would hold up under, you know, uh, knowing that, yes, probably would have held up at West Point. But what about afterwards? You know, when I when I would have to go into the army after that and and you know, kind of a funny story. Our daughter got my height and she's six foot two. As an NBA three-point range, and she was actually recruited, went to and graduated from the United States Air Force Academy. And wow. she's a, an officer in the Space Force now. Ooh. Yeah, Goodness. pretty cool. That is uh just following dad's footsteps, but in a in a bit of a different way. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I did, you know, it, it's so funny. I mean, I, you know, I've got two brothers. I went to an all-boys Catholic high school. When I went to the Citadel, it was all male. It had not gone co-ed yet. So when my wife and I go to the OBGYN when she's pregnant, she's like, do you want to know what the sex of the baby is? And I was like, sure. She's like, well, you should buy pink. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you need to keep it in there till it's done. I have no idea what to do with a girl in terms of raising a daughter or anything like that. But I, I think she turned out okay. It sounds like she sure did. And I would like to say, what is her name? Michaela. Michaela, thank you for your service. And also, Terry, thank you for yours. You have been between the SWAT and the Army. I know that's not in the right order, but the Citadel. I know people who left the Citadel maybe were kicked out. Not everyone can hang in those. That is not that is not a traditional college experience. My um my husband passed the least. <laughs> yeah, he was heartbroken when he did not get into the Naval Academy. Their loss. I mean, I, I still don't understand. I mean, he's just like, he's a unicorn. He's amazing, but they turned me down. And we, we've talked about how, you know, failure um, can lead to other things. So he still achieved his dream 
of being a naval aviator, but he also got to have like a college experience. So for better or for worse, <laughs> that was- Where did like, he go? He went to Pitt. He's oh, okay. So for better or for worse, um, you know, that to me is like, okay, so if you're up partying or something like now you got to get up and do the workout while everyone else sleeps. <laughs> so he got all worlds uh, into one, but um, we do. And of course, in our family really- appreciate any and all who who serve whether it's in the in the military and the police fire rescue um so it's an amazing um thing that you have done for our country so thank you again terry you're welcome where should people find you if they want to book you for do you do both in person and like zoom conference speaking I, I do. I, I do virtual and in person. Virtual, I, I, thank I, you. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I, I come up I'm like, yeah, what, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, yes, I do probably more virtual than I do in person. It's just, it's hard for me to travel, you know, in a wheelchair and things like that. But yes, I will, I will do both. I, I love doing it. I love the interaction, you know, doing a virtual presentation is great, but it, you, you don't get the interaction with people in the audience and, you know, their reactions and are, are, are you making the difference? Did they hear you? You know, like I said, are they making their grocery list or are they really paying attention to you and things like that? So uh, you can find me. I have a, a, a blog. It's called Motivational Check. Right. Um, I put up a thought for the day. I put up um, with Monday morning motivational message. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch. You can leave me a message. That's all at motivationalcheck.com. Perfect. I love that. And now I always like to ask my guests a question, kind of roll back into the nourishment mindset here. We've already talked about it, really, these the table side traditions. I mean, that's my favorite part of my day is when my family and I sit down and, and do a little toast and and just we're we're present together. It doesn't have to be a you know four course production, but for me, and there are of course many other table side traditions that that we have. But I'm curious for you and your family, and it, it could some people get a little bit in their heads with this question. I mean, it could be like a Thanksgiving tradition. It could be a nightly thing. It could be something goofy. Like anything come to mind, Terry? Yeah, yeah, something goofy does. But I, I, when you send me the questions, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I should say this or not. So yes, yes. When I, you don't know, you should. Yes. <laughs> I I warned my wife the first time my wife ever had dinner with my brothers and my mom and I. I said, now when somebody in our family says, pass a roll, it very well may be that a roll comes shooting across the table. Love it. We're all jocks, you know. It's like, hey, you need a roll? Okay, here you go. You know. Kind of, <laughs> We, you know, it used to drive my mother nuts. It's like, pass the rolls. Don't throw one to your brother, you know. But that's that's what we did, you know. And I told her, I said, you know, might want to bring a catcher's mitt or something to the table just in Ooh. case, you know. I, no, that that was really a joke. But you know, my brothers and I used to do that because we knew it it upset our mother. And, you know, we were kind of being smart Alex and things like that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think about our family dinners, you know, when our, when our dad and, you know, I learned so much about business just listening to my dad and then my mom asking him questions and then we could ask questions and how was your day and what was, and and that's how you connected with with your family and that's why family is so important and we don't we don't do that you know now it's fast food and let's grab something quick and stuff like that no you need that time and I and you know that as a as a nourishment you know the, it's not just nourishment of the body it's nourishment of the soul it's nourishment Absolutely. of the spirit of the mind and if you can do that with the people you love, it, it, it just makes life a whole lot easier, on, I think, on all of us. Right. And and you're a man of faith. So I imagine that, you know, I love the opportunity to say a blessing. And if someone's not a person of faith, we, you know, you could still talk about something for which you're grateful. Just that that pause and, and creating those traditions, that's so, I mean, that's what my book is born out of. <laughs> Basically, that's my, I call it the missing piece of the metabolic puzzle. We're such a sick country with 90% of people metabolically unfit. The missing piece of the puzzle, everyone talks about nutrition and sunlight and, you know, all the things, meditation and 
gratitude and all the good things, physical movement, but we don't often talk about just coming together. I mean, that's right. I mean, Jesus broke bread and made wine. <laughs> He's my kind yeah. of dude, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's funny you say that because I, I had a nurse recently ask me, you know, what it was like. I, I had my foot amputated in 2018, my leg amputated in 2020. And she was like, well, wh what's that been like? Like, well, it's not been easy. You know, I'm six foot eight inches tall. So oh. learning to walk again, falling is not an option. You know, you, you fall from this height, you get hurt. But, but what I told her was cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Dixie. That's who everybody who's listening to us really is. And you're right. We spend so much time, you know, making sure we go to the gym and we eat right and we get enough rest and we reduce stress and we do all this stuff. And I'm not telling you not to do that. I think you absolutely should. But what I am suggesting is maybe every day, Spend a little more time working on who you really are, your heart, your mind, and your soul. We all know this body's going to die. It's going to decay. It's going to go away. But your heart, your mind, and your soul, those things are eternal. They're going to live on. Oh, what a note to end on. I, uh, I'm tearing up, y'all. If you're watching YouTube, you might see a lot of blinking. <laughs> it's hot in here. Uh, but that's beautiful. I really appreciate your your sharing your story. Such an inspiration to other people who might be struggling with a myriad of of issues, um, might be physical or mental. Just a great, I would say you're so grounded. Like just, I feel like I'm talking with a yogi who's funny and very tall. Yogi <laughs> Bear, maybe. But that's... <laughs> yes, awesome. Well, thank you so much, y'all. We're going to wrap it up. If you haven't bought the book, please hop on over to Amazon. You can find me at favorfat.substack.com. All the links are there. You can suggest a show topic. Thank you again, Terry. Sante, y'all. Have a wonderfully nourished couple of weeks, and I will see y'all back in a couple of Tuesdays.